Teach Me to Code, podcast episode 23, interview with Brian Lyles. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Rails Coach Podcast. This is your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we interviewed Brian Lyles. Now, before we get to the interview and before I introduce him, I just want to make a few quick announcements. First off, um, I've decided that I'm going to start switching off between the interviews and the uh, just the, the monologue um, podcast. So basically what that means to you is that if you really like the interviews, you're going to be wanting to listen every other week. And if you like hearing me talk about my experience with programming, you're going to have to listen to that every other week. And what I'm probably going to do is split the, the feed so that there's the feed with all of the podcasts in it that most of you have subscribed to. And then we'll go ahead and split it off so that uh, there are... Um, so that there are also the two other feeds, one for the monologues and one for the interviews. So anyway, that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, turn on the interview and we'll catch you on the other end, thanks. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood with the Teach Me To Code podcast and uh, I am here with Brian Lyles. Now Brian is somebody that I heard about um, a couple of years ago when I started going to users group. Um, everybody was talking about a talk that he gave at the Ruby Hoedown uh, where he uh, talked about T-A-T-F-T, and I'll let him explain to you what exactly that means. Um, but he also has a blog at Smarticus, at smartic.us, and uh, he also got a little bit of buzz for You're Doing It Wrong, which is uh, a couple of videos, I think. Uh, that's all I ever saw of it anyway, um, that, that talked about things, that his opinions about software. Um is there anything else you want to add to that before we get going, Brian? Oh, no, that's a pretty good introduction. All right. Um, one other thing that you may see Brian talk about or other people talking about him is he's uh, he, he's from Baltimore, and uh, and so the, the Ruby Brigade out there, he's, uh, he's a member of that brigade. Um, so why don't you go ahead and explain uh, what TATFT is and uh, why people were talking about it? Well, um... It actually started out as a joke. Um, what it is is um, T-A-T-F-T is test all the freaking time. And what I did was um, I actually had a talk starting at Ruby Nation in 2008. And just to make my slides a little bit more lively, I put that in there. I put that saying in there about every third slide. But it actually turned into a kind of a crazy phenomenon and people went all over the place with it. Um, what it basically comes down to is that you should be thinking about how you're testing your app all the time. And, and, you know, and once you get in that mindset, I think you'll write better software. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I was in QA for a while, and uh, I got into development, and, that, and I heard about it like right after that. So I was all over it. I was just like, yeah, developers need to test more. But oh, it, yes, we do. It's true. Uh, what benefits do you get from testing? Well, um, I'm, a, I'm about a 95% test-first developer. Uh, I can't write code without writing tests first. Uh, I'm actually training myself to make sure that I have to see a failing test, and what I have to do is write code to make that test stop failing. I can't code any other way anymore. I mean, I guess it's like the Corey Haynes way, but um, I definitely have to write my tests first. It doesn't feel right any other way. So did you used to write tests the other way, and... Kind of yeah, the problem was is that I always found that I was going back to the same pieces of code and having to tweak them all the time. And, and really, 
no one has time for that. So when you write your test up front, um, there's two things you get out of it. First thing is you get some savings on the, at the long tail end. But the second thing is you actually have to think about what you're writing before you write it. You can't just sit down and start writing code and hope that it works. None of us are that smart, or at least no one that I know. <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I do know some pretty talented guys that tend to write the tests after the code. But, yeah, I, I've gotten to be the same way, and it really took off for me. I was working for a client, and uh, their head developer had been a developer at uh, a couple of banks out here in Salt Lake City. And um, it was funny because he basically, you know, he did it that way because he didn't trust the software if he wrote it the other way. And yeah. it, it was – so I, I worked with them for about six months, and by the time I was done – I couldn't write it the other way. I would just sit there and be blocked trying to write my code until I wrote a test. And then I'd be like, okay, now I know what it's going to do. Well, that's it's a good thing that you write tests first. So how do you know when to stop? That, that's what it comes down to. You can polish code all day long. But if you write that test that says, whenever I satisfy this particular convention or, or this particular need, I can move on. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I agree. You know, I, I don't really... I don't really have anything else to say. I mean, it, it works for me, and you know, if somebody has another opinion, I'd I'd be interested in hearing it. But uh, you know, I, I definitely agree. Um, on to another topic. It looks like I, I've seen a few places where you you call yourself a hacker. Um, what what does that term mean to you? Well, I'm um, a hacker in the in the old term, the old sense. Um, I like to hack on things. It started out many many years ago. When we were hacking on phone systems, mm-hmm. and now and then we moved to hacking on assembly language. Now we hack on Ruby code and JavaScript and whatever else I can get my hand on. Um, I just like to find things, take them apart, put them back together, and make them work better. That's my definition of hacker. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, is there anything interesting that you're hacking on right now? Oh, actually, um, recently I've been thinking, and this is why I haven't seen many blog posts for me. Is I'm thinking about life hacking. Um, one thing that I've really, like think my past few blog posts have been about is getting rid of the keyboard. I mean, getting rid of the mouse and only using the keyboard. It's just sitting around and thinking of ways to make me a much more productive person at, um, at the keyboard. And actually, I'm giving a talk at Baltimore, um, the RailsConf, the Ignite at the RailsConf about the same topic. Yeah, I saw a few of the posts there. I saw one about D-Term... Um, yeah, um, D-Term. I mean, these are these are Mac things because unfortunately I use a Mac, so that's where I, that's where most of my hacking comes up. So D-Term, um, new ones are Divi, which is a way to actually divvy up your screen size up. Um, I'm big on LaunchBar, but I'm looking at a tool called Alfred as well. Huh. So what what makes you want to go without the mouse? Well, um, it's all about being fast. Um, I actually, in my when I started out on computers, there were no um, graphical unit, graphical interfaces that I could afford. I mean, I, when I first got on the internet, uh, PPP was very young. We were still using Flip, if we could even get a hold of that. So at a very young age, I learned how to use screens, and and I'm always wanted to get rid of the mouse. Um, even whenever I had when I was running all Linux boxes, I always ran some kind of tiling window manager where I didn't need the mouse. And when I moved to the Mac a few years ago, it always kind of upset me that I had to use the mouse. So I've always been trying to figure out ways I don't have to do it. 
That makes sense. So uh, I'm assuming then that you use Vim. I, I know that Emacs and TextMate also have uh, uh, key combinations, but uh, it seems like Vim's the one that's been around the longest. Is is that what you use, or do you use a different editor? Um, for the actually, I use Vim for most things. Um, actually, I'm actually split between Vim and TextMate. TextMate mm -hmm. does things. TextMate is a very good Mac editor. So if I'm creating a presentation. I always use TextMate to format that. If I want to quickly um, decipher some code or quickly format it, I'll, I'll paste in the TextMate. The TextMate out the box takes no configuration and it does all these new things. Mm -hmm. But if I'm hacking and I really want and I really want to be one with the code, I'll use Vim only because I probably have 20 years of finger memory in it. So right. that's yeah, so that's where that comes from. Yeah, I I actually have a few friends that are really big into Vim. And uh, some, at least two of them have said, well, you know, I, I like the interface that TextMate gives, but until they have the key bindings from Vim, I can't use it. <laughs> no, and I'm all about, I'm all about um, different editor modes. Uh, I actually spend a lot of time in Emacs, but when I come to find out, it's, uh, I like the simplicity of Vim, and it's just, it's just my opinion. I will talk about it, but, you know, I, I always say that you need to be good at an editor if you're going to be a good developer. So whether that's TextMate, Emacs, Vim, or, you know, whatever, you just need to be very good at it. Okay. Now, um, you, you have a few things like uh, TATFT and you're doing it wrong, that kind of smack of, of being an opinionated developer. Um, what, what are some of your more interesting opinions about software development? Um, my, some interesting opinions I have about software development. Uh, developers are weird. And I, I've noticed this really a lot in the, in the Ruby community. Um, and this is no disrespect to anyone because I'm not going to single anyone out. But it seems like a lot of the things that the Ruby community does at large seems to be a reflection of how they may have been treated in high school. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird where they were made and shunned. So the, 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 um, the sides that are picked and the, and the projects that come out seem like they're just reflections of how someone was treated in their past life. I don't like that. So we need to get away from that. Mm -hmm. um, other opinions I have is um, I don't think there's any best way of doing anything. As a matter of fact, I think every all the good ways of doing things have already been invented you know, before our time. I mean, computing is actually pretty old now, and everything that we've done has been done before, maybe not in the same way or not as well, but it's all been done before. So I think we need to take some time and stop trying to create the new best project and look at this look at this Unix or Linux that we're on and actually um, use it to the fullest. That's why I like projects like Unicorn. Uh, Unicorn is the Mongo parser with, um, with forking. I mean, that's simple. I mean, besides the Mongo parser, but it's that simple. And, that's, and these are the solutions we're looking for. All these really complex solutions, all these complex, let's, you know, let's stand up this um, crazy queuing system or let's do this and let's do that. Yeah, it's not needed. You know, let's find the simple solution. Mm hmm That makes sense. Um, besides Unicorn, what, what other tools do you use uh, for testing or for, for hosting? Um, well, let me see. If I'm, using, if I'm doing Ruby, I always put it behind Unicorn and Nginx. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, I don't do Ruby all the time. So, you know, there's some Apache thrown in there. Uh -huh. um, on the development end, I'm a big auto-tester. Um, I love Autotest. I actually, I mean, I have it running right now. I can't develop without it. Uh -huh. um, I also like Cucumber. 
um, Axelite, Telesoit. Those are just great tools. Yep. Um, I don't use, currently, on any of my current projects, I don't use Shutta or RSpec or anything. I just use regular old test unit under Ruby 187. Uh-huh. Um, I find that it was getting in my way, and I'm always, all my current projects are Rails 3. So whenever I started on Rails 3, a lot of those things didn't work, and I haven't gone back to reinvestigate. Um, I'm very big on tools like um, in the IRB, like Wirble, uh-huh. W-I-R-B-L-E, and Herb, H-I-R-B. Um, I, I just can't get along without those. Um, Wirble is a great way to colorize your IRB, and Herb is a great way to format text. Like um, if you have active record, if you're actually looking up things in active record and bringing that back into your IRB. Yeah, they're they're both really nice. I mean... You know the the IRB is hard enough to read as it is, but yeah, to get the 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 code syntax highlighting, and then to get on top of that, you get the nice. Uh, I guess it's kind of like the MySQL console that you get back when you're getting hashes or, or arrays, and yeah, it's just it's super yeah, it's nice. a simple thing, but it it definitely makes things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now you did mention, and this is something that I'm interested in, like you were using Shuda and RSpec before, but they were getting in your way. H- how do you evaluate things as far as whether or not they're useful or whether or not they're uh, helping or hurting your process, I guess? Well, it depends on how many times I have to go look in the code to see what they're doing. Uh, like if I can't understand what it's doing or if it does something that I didn't expect it to do, Sometimes mm-hmm. I just figure, well, I might as well just write it myself. Right. Um, I, I really do respect um, the, the Shutter project, and actually I'm a big proponent of it, but it was actually moving a little bit slower than I was, and it was either work on paying client stuff or fix Shutter. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, work on paying client stuff is still <laughs> winning. <laughs> yeah. Um, food and electricity tend to tend to do that, you know. Yeah. The wife and the kids would not like to be in the dark and hungry. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that. Now, now, do you do work for your, do you find clients yourself and do freelance work or do you work for a, a firm that finds clients? And No, I actually work for a small firm. Um, we're called Captico. We're, in, we're outside of Baltimore, Annapolis in a town called Severna Park. Um, really right now, we're just five or six developers mixed with PHP and Ruby. Huh. And um, we we have really small sales staff, and really it's um, everyone going out and finding new clients and things like that. Okay. Um, now I think I remember from your uh, your talk, uh, the TATFT talk, um, that you mentioned that you'd done Perl and a few other languages. Um, yeah. How do those languages compare with Ruby, and and what do you like about each of those languages? Oh man, I um I started well in. On Unix, uh, many years ago, when I remember when Perl came out, believe it or not, uh, I used Perl because actually I wasn't a developer. I never wanted to be a developer. I wanted to be a super duper Unix admin. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that I like the program. <laughs> so um, Perl was my best friend, and I also know a lot of C. So the thing I like about Perl is you sit down, you write code, and you're done. It runs relatively fast. And it, with, with Perl 5, and actually I remember Perl 4, Things didn't just break. Um, that's one tech tip I have of Ruby. Sometimes Ruby just breaks on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but C, uh, I actually, that was one of my first languages um, back in middle school, is um, 
I like C because I I actually can respect allocating my own memory and actually getting down into the structures. That doesn't bother me. Um, I I actually enjoy um, seeing that part. I mean, one thing a lot of people don't know about me is that uh, I actually used to write um, demos in Assembler uh, way back in middle school and, and early high school. So um, I don't do, I don't get to do that stuff now, but um, I did enjoy that aspect of getting deep into the code. Huh. So, and um, other languages I've used are like Java. Um, I use Java because it was there, and a lot of people used it, and it was popular, so I learned it. And actually, my um, frustration with Java is what got me into Ruby about five years ago. Huh. What What was your frustration with Java? Um, the turnaround time was too slow. Uh, this was back when I guess Spring was really popular. So I went through Spring. I looked at JSF. I looked at things like Tapestry, and and I always thought there's got to be something better. And I actually sat down with Rails and realized that you know. Maybe this is a lot simpler, and maybe it isn't better, but at least it allows me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, so you got into Ruby by learning Rails? Um, yeah, actually, that was my first my first entry into Ruby was learning Rails. Okay, and and now you're working in Ruby and PHP, I guess, at, at the firm you're. Yeah, in. Um, PHP just because um, there are no good Ruby CMSs that I can use on my current projects. That's true. Yeah, I noticed your blog is on WordPress, and if you go to any of mine, you'll notice mine are on WordPress too, so I, I feel you there. Um, now, have you done, it, it looks like you, you, you've put up some posts on like the iPad and things like that. Do you do any development for those, or are you just a, an avid user? No, actually, when I got the iPad, I guess a couple months ago almost now, um, I sat down and I taught myself Objective-C, and I started writing an app. But the thing is, I found that I like Android better. And the reason I like Android better is because um, I was able to sit down and write apps quicker. There's nothing, there's nothing more to that. Um, when it comes to their APIs, they're about the same to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was able to sit down and write Android app quicker. That makes sense. Um, do you have any tips? This is something that I've been really interested in lately. Um, I've I've been looking at uh, moving away from the mouse, but I've also another thing I've been looking at is agile. So I'm going to ask you about both of those. But first off, are are there any good tips for just moving away from the mouse on the Mac that you can give on this podcast? Well, um, the first thing I I would say start small. You know, uh, one thing you can do is learn how to open the dock, or learn how to navigate through the menus with just the mouse. I mean, a uh-huh. quick thing you can do is, I believe, shift command, shift command question mark, and most Mac apps will bring down a thing where you can search the menus. Okay. So that's that's a quick command right there that you can use, not use the mouse. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm tempted to do it right now, but I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mess anything up. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, you, that's, but that's the real thing is you. What I've learned over the years is that there's no way that we can uh, learn all this stuff at once. So if you try learning something a day or learning something in a week, you know you'll have to realize in a few months that you've learned all this stuff. And for those of us who have kids and you know families and wives and 
other things, we can't sit at the computer all the time. So when I'm sitting at the computer, I do try to make sure that I'm making sure that it's very productive. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And and it makes sense then that, that you would, yeah, be trying to move away from the mouse. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize how much time I waste reaching for the mouse when I could just think it onto the screen <laughs> by hitting a key. Um, that's I, right. I started getting into Vim a little bit, and that's kind of what got me going that way. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting how how quickly you can move through things if you don't have to make that extra motion. Have you start looking at the Vimcast? Uh, uh-uh, I didn't. I don't know anything about that. Well, I think it's Vimcast dot com or dot org. Uh, the guy who does it, he has a great voice. And, you know, even after using them for so long, I still like to watch his videos. And he does one at least every week or every couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I'll have to do a Google search to find that. I'll put, an, I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. Um, well, I'm just getting all these great pointers. Um, now, what kind of development process do you guys have over there? Oh, it's, it's anarchy, literally. Um, well, I'm, I'm coming, I come from the agile state of mind, but, um, you know, people, common sense tells people that agile doesn't work uh-huh. for some strange reason. And so they want to do the straight waterfall, give me more spreadsheets. Um, let's do more planning up front. And, you know, that's a constant battle, but you know, it's, it's a battle that I'm not scared of and that I have won before. So you know, I love being able to educate people on how to develop software. I think it, I think there is an art in developing software. It's not just sitting down writing code or a project manager creating, you know, specifications and things like that. I think there is. There, it's like an art. It's like, um, like a good basketball player. You can be good, or you can be really good, like LeBron or Jordan or Kobe Bryant. And right. I think that that's what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm working for. Yeah, it's it's really true, and and. You know, this is an article that I'm planning on writing uh, later on. But yeah, I mean, uh, programming isn't just the ability to code. It's the ability to solve problems well. And it's the ability to translate requirements that you get. And this is something that I learned from Dave Thomas when I talked to him. Um, it's, it's your ability to translate the requirements that your customer has into something that they can use. And there's nothing more succinct than that. I actually love that explanation. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's true, and it's something that you really you really see. And if if you work on enough development teams, where you kind of get to run the gamut from the people who are trying to implement agile to the people who are successfully implementing some form of agile development to people who just don't care and they just throw requirements as fast as they can at the developers and expect them to somehow crank them all out, you come to realize that some of the structure really helps. And uh, some of the ceremony that surrounds some of the structure can get in your way. And so it's kind of like what you've been saying about the life hacking. You've got to figure out what makes sense for you, what's working for you, and, and cut everything else out that's getting in the way. Yeah, that's, I, mean, I think that's the only thing you can do. <clears throat> yeah, but you have to try it first. And, and I think that's uh, something that people run into with uh, some of these processes is that they try it for a couple days and they're not accustomed to it, so they, they immediately see a slowdown while they're trying to figure it out. And before they get it figured out, they just give up. Yeah, and, that's, and that is the hard part. It's like anything else you're learning. You, you really have to stick with it for a little while. 
But yeah. you don't have to do it exactly. I know a lot of people are saying that you have to do these practices exactly. You know, if everyone did it exactly, everyone would be making the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody would have the same amount of success. Yep. So, you know, you just got to tailor everything to your organization's needs. Yeah, it's true. And and you use it to play to your strengths. I, I found that that's the other thing you got to do. Um, now, you've talked a little bit about life hacking, and I've heard a little bit about it. Um, mainly because I keep hearing about lifehacker.com. Right. Uh, what What exactly is life hacking, and how does it apply to life in general and to programming? Well, what I when um the way I refer to myself as a life life hacker is I'm always trying to hack everything I do to make it that more efficient. You know, I'm the kind of guy who scouts out different ways to work every morning, just because you know I want to find the most efficient way to my house. Um, I always do everything in the morning in the same order because I figured out the most efficient way to get out of the house quickly. Um, other things that, you know, we like to do with life hacking is, um, uh, my computer. Um, I can only use my computer. I can't touch anyone else's computer because I can't use it. Like my computer is so tailored to me, it's like a glove. And that's what I like to do. I like to take everything around me and make, and, and either, either reject it and not use it or actually bring it into my world. I don't touch anything lightly. Like, you know, whenever, whenever I, like whenever I um, bought a new stereo, I hooked it up. I mean, I, I went through, I figured out everything for it. I got all the speakers. I have the correct sound sound. Mm-hmm. Same thing on my computer. I went all the way in. So that's what I try to do. I don't just, I don't just do things for fun. I actually go in and try to make it the best experience that I can. That makes sense. Now, what are some good uh, resources for figuring out how to do this in your own life? Um, actually, I do look at lifehacker.com. Um, I read, believe it or not, on my iPad. And actually, I, this is one thing I do. When I wake up every morning for 30 minutes, I read blogs. I don't do anything else. I don't read email. I just read blogs. And I don't read them because I'm really looking for specific information. I'm reading them and storing them in Evernote or wherever else I happen to be storing them. But I'm looking for information that I could potentially use later. I don't think we do enough collecting of information. I think everybody's out there wanting to create. I'm more of a collector. Uh-huh. I like to see what other people are doing and then see if I can apply it to myself. That makes sense. Um, what what blogs do you read? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> you know what? I read all the popular Ruby ones. Um, okay. I, I like Engadget. Um, I actually do like the Apple blogs, like Apple Insider and Mac Rumors. And only because it's like watching Fox News, where you know they're wrong, but it's it's, it's actually pretty exciting to watch them be wrong. <laughs> um, I like um, I'm really into Google these days. So all the Google blogs, like Android, the, the Google Developers blog, all those blogs, I love that because they are always giving out good information that you know I can't use it today, but I write it down. And I also like uh, web design blogs, where like color lovers. I love looking at that, and I like the site Dribble with 3D. I love looking at things like that. I am not creative one bit, but you know I aspire to be. So I like looking at pretty artwork. So that last one was Dribble. Yeah, D R I B B B L E dot com. Okay. Um, made by Dan Cedarholm. It's actually pretty popular on Twitter, but you know, like everything, everything's very popular but very um, exclusive. Yeah, it seems like the internet has has brought more of the niche uh, niche sources and niche audiences out. 
because before the internet, I mean, you had TV and radio, and and they were trying to go pretty much as broad as you could go and still keep people interested. And so it's it's interesting where you have blogs that are very narrowly focused toward Ruby or even more focused toward Rails or RSpec or TDD or you know any of these different things. And uh, you know, it, it it's interesting, but at the same time, it's I think it's really nice because you can find the information that you want. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, is I tried that. I, I mean, years ago, I guess come to think of it, um, the first Rails conference where I registered Smarticus, uh, and I tried to do the Ruby thing for a while, but then I found out that you know what, I don't want to talk about that because, for one thing, there's hundreds of other people talking about it, and they all have good content. So now my blog has moved into a more general purpose, whatever makes me happy. Uh-huh. So like my last five blog posts, I think I think Dave Thomas and Andy over at the Pragmatic Programmers, I've written about uh, not using the mouse. Um, I haven't written about them lately, but I do want to write about them again. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the same thing. And with, with me, I, uh, I, I started blogging about Ruby on my personal blog at charlesmaxwood.com. But then I found that I wanted to blog and talk about some other things in my life. I mean, because I'm I'm working on becoming healthier and and things like that. I mean, I'm a diabetic, and you know I want to talk about what I'm learning about diabetes and just stuff like that. But I felt like I had focused my blog so much on the Ruby stuff that I didn't feel like I could put the other stuff on there. And so since I've moved on to uh, maintaining TeachMeToCode.com, which is where this podcast is hosted. Um, I set up an articles uh, blog under the domain so that I can do specifically that. I can post all my programming stuff to that blog, and then I can reclaim my personal blog so I can write about the other things. And, uh, you know, it's that well-rounded, you know, general interest stuff that, you know, you're not necessarily writing for other people that at the same time I think is so interesting to other people that really want to understand what you're about and, you know, outside of what you're doing with your coding or your programming. That's why um, there's actually two developers who actually aren't Ruby developers. Uh, Matt Rabel does that. And um, Scott Hanselman, who works at Microsoft, does that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, they'll, they'll throw up some tech posts. Then they'll talk about, like, um, Scott Hanselman has diabetes as well. So he's always talking about that, or he's talking about his wife. Mm-hmm. And Matt Rabel always posts about his kids. I love those blogs. You know, um, that's what I think I should be doing. But you know what I don't do is because I don't think anyone really wants to read it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, that, uh, well, people know interesting things, you know, and and like uh, like your posts and things like that. I mean, they're things that I'm interested in. But at the same time, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, and, and by a lot, I really mean literally hundreds of podcasts. Um, and, you know, these people, a lot of them, yeah, they just stick, stick to the topic that they're covering on their podcast. But there are a few of them that have podcasted for so long and podcast about so many topics that, you know, their kids will wander in while they're recording or they'll you know, they'll have something important happen that has nothing to do with the topic that they're podcasting about, and they'll just bring it in and leave it there. And, you know, so you kind of get this personal connection with these people, even though it's really a one-way communication where you're consuming what they're putting out there. 
but it, it gives you that idea of where they're coming from and what's going on and, and why what they're talking about is important to them. And, and I think sometimes the motivation is just as important as the content. Yeah, well, you've inspired me to blog. Um, I think I'll have to write something after we're done here. <laughs> well, I'm glad I can be a gl- good influence. Um, Here's a question. Are you going to be at RailsConf next week? Oh, I wish. Um, it turns out that we're in the middle of a big push at work. And um, I tried to talk my boss into letting me go to that and to Agile Roots Conference, which is the next week on Monday and Tuesday. And he basically just decided that, well, he let me know that he couldn't afford to have me gone for four days. So, yeah, I'm not going to make it to RailsConf, but I basically told him that if I couldn't go, that I got, that I was going to figure out how to make it to the rest of them. So I'm hoping to make it to RubyConf, maybe Axis Conference, and, and maybe one or one or two others this summer. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to make it to RailsConf this year. I made it last year and I loved it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad that I'm not going to make it, but you know, you, you can't have it all. Yeah, fortunately. Yeah. I totally understand that. And plus having a family makes it hard to travel. So, yeah, well, when I went to RailsConf last year, I mean, it was in Las Vegas and I live in just, just South of Salt Lake city. So it wasn't too far away. But I just I just took my laptop with me, and then we had another laptop at home, and so we just did the video chat over Skype with the kids, and uh, yeah, that that worked all right. The kids were pretty happy to see me, and you know, it it, it wasn't the same as being there, but it made it easier. Well, good luck, a developer who actually likes his family. I'm, I'm all I'm very proud of that. <laughs> a developer who wants to have a family, it's a great thing. Yeah, it is. You know, but I think I think we really have an opportunity, though, um, to kind of provide something to our families as developers that maybe other people don't have to offer. And and what I mean by that is I have a few coworkers, for example, that uh, they have teenagers that write code, and they're not learning it at school; they're learning it from their parents, and uh, you know they're learning to solve problems. And, and experience these things. And so even if they don't um, even if they don't wind up being professional coders or even technologists in any fashion, they've learned to approach problems and solve them. And they've learned how to think around these things so that they can figure out what makes life better, just, just like what makes their code better, what makes their, their programming better. And, and I think that's an important skill that I don't know that the world really teaches kids. I think it's something that we have to teach them, and I think programming is a great tool for that. Oh no, I totally agree. Uh, I have two girls. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to approach um, them with programming, but I do know that there is actually a dearth of minorities and women and and technology in general. So I'll do everything that I can to push them in that direction, just because I just think that there needs to be more different in technology. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go to like when I go to RailsConf or any of these other conferences, it's just you know, I don't feel alone because of everybody, but um I, I know what I had to do to get here and I would love to be able to make it so someone else that came from my situation that could you know, could come and develop and, you know, be happy and productive doing yeah. it. Yeah, it's true, you know. I mean I, I think I've had it pretty easy in life. But, you know, no matter where you come from, I mean, you, ha- you have to work for what you've got. 
And yeah, I mean, if, if, if any of us can make it easier for anybody who, who is capable and, and, and intelligent to, to come do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, I think a lot of people are all about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I don't really have any other questions for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? Oh, no, no. Um, it was great talking to you today. You know, um, I like to be able to share. And that's actually one of the reasons why I do blog is because I like to share. You know, I'm not, I don't really have time to do a whole bunch of coding and a whole bunch of open source. But, you know, I do contribute patches here and there. But what I really would like to do is teach somebody how to program or, you know, change something or change a piece of code that affects me. But I know that it might affect somebody else. So I want to tell everyone it doesn't really matter how big your contribution is as long as you're giving one. And people who share are really paying it forward. So everybody should think about that, whether you're sharing with code or you're sharing with um, talks or you're sharing with, I don't know, whatever else. Um, just go back and pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are so many things out there that make that easy. You know, you, you have uh, GitHub, which is uh, pretty simple to set up. And if you can't figure it out, there are always people around to help. And, uh, you know, there are free tools out there to help you start coding or, you know, just whatever else, you know, you could go to wordpress.com and set up a blog and just start blogging and, you know, just share it on Reddit and RubyFlow and, you know, or if you're not Ruby, figure out where your community gathers and just, you know, just do it, just share it because you have a unique perspective on, on programming, even if you're a beginner. You know that that's a perspective that I think a lot of experienced coders don't don't have anymore, just because they don't think about things that way. So no matter where you're at, I mean, if you want to blog, if you want to write code, whatever it is, you know, there, there are so many tools out there that make it easy for you to share, and and your contribution is as important as anyone else's. Yeah, that's the most important thing. You know, there are the people who who are referred to as superstars and whatnot, but you know what? No one is more more powerful than the individual developer. You have the power to write the next great thing. So just keep on writing. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Oh, thanks for inviting me. We'll, we'll probably have this episode out uh, next Tuesday. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks. All right, bye. Bye. All right, well, we just li- I'd just like to thank Brian again for coming on the show. And uh, I'd like to remind you that this show is sponsored by New Relic. New Relic is actually just an awesome tool that will help you uh, figure out what's going on with your application. It, it monitors uh, a lot of different things for your application, and uh, it really just helps you pinpoint problem areas. It'll also give you a readout if you run into an error that brings your site down. So uh, go check them out, www.newrelic.com. And uh, other than that, i just like you to... Remember to go sign up for the Agile Roots Conference in Salt Lake City if you haven't done it. And uh, and uh, leave, leave a review for us in iTunes. You can do that by going to iTunes or you can go to uh, teachmetocode.com slash podcast and click on the iTunes link there. And uh, it'll bring up the page where you can leave us a review and I'd really appreciate that. And uh, that's all for this week and we'll catch you next week. Thanks. <laughs>